0: It is 10 after 10 on Friday, June 26th. This is Riding Walks, and I'm your guide, Alex Talander. Today we're once again on the Southern Laguna Discovery Trail. Though we're going to be going to a little different part of it this time. As before, much has changed again in the months to two months since I did my last riding walks recording. Uh, a lot of the parks and regional parks and places are open now, but obviously there's a lot of people using them too. So I want to kind of avoid meeting people wherever I can. So I thought I'd come back to this one to see how it would be today, and there's no one else here, so it's ideal. Today I'm going to be talking about the writer's determination. Now, I wrote that down as my note for the writing walks to do a couple months ago, And then I ended up doing the special writing walks with my son. So it kind of put this subject off to the next one. The next episode. And now I'm not exactly sure what I meant by writer's determination, but I have an idea. And if it isn't that, well, I'm talking about the thing I want to talk about anyway. If I end up remembering that I meant something different with writer's determination, I can use that as another topic another time and then a little later we'll be talking about first drafts and we'll end the episode with a recommendation to me the writer's determination is the writer telling the story that they want to tell, that they're hoping to tell, to put the story that's in their head out on the page the way they want it. Like many things in life, it's a balance. A balance between the thoughts in your head, what's driving you to write the story, but also your characters and how the words come out to shape the story you want to tell. There are various little tools and devices you can use to kind of help you get that story out that you want to tell in the specific way you want to. Taking a few little notes can help, depending on how long the project is, if it's just a short story, but you want to make sure you get it how you want. You can take a few little notes, but not too many, because if you're doing too much for note taking, then when it comes to doing the actual writing, you're taking away from it because of all the note taking you've done and kind of forcing the story in that way and not letting it develop naturally. If it's a longer project, you can do outlines and some plotting, again, to give your story the shape it wants. I know there are some people that do really detailed long outlines, which I feel probably works for some people. But for me personally, I like to let the writing kind of just come out, let the story develop in its own way, and especially let the characters drive the story and control it through their characteristics, their shape, their defining factors. Because if you're constructing it too much and controlling it too much, it's not as organic and natural. And in some ways you can be forcing the story to go in a direction that it's not meant to go. What can happen with that then is you can be writing the story... And maybe you want it to go in this specific spot, you make it go in that spot, and then you realize when you get there, you've kind of put yourself in a corner because there's nowhere else to go, and it's an unnatural move for the story to go to. So then your options are to pull back from where you make that, where you made that wrong move, or to start the whole thing over again, or to scrap the story and start a whole different story. I think it's one of those things that you get better at it the more you write. The more stories you write, the more projects you do, you just learn how your natural writing ability works, what works for you, and what works when you're writing a story. I've talked a number of times about how when I'm writing my characters will drive the story And I've learned over the years not to force them to do things, but to just let them kind of lead the way once I've set up my characters how I want them and got the story started. Um, This is true for novels I've worked on. This is true for short stories I've done and for the various podcasts that I've done. Ostium, Circe, and future podcasts too. A little noisy over here, some generator or something, so I'll wait till I get by it. Ah, it's the sprinklers working on this giant field over here. And it's the water pump and whatever helping to run all the sprinklers for this field. You can probably hear just in the background now the sprinklers going. It's not easy being able to just trust that the story will happen, being able to just trust that your characters will lead it along and take you where you want to go. Again, it's a practice thing, and like anything else, you learn through practice what works for you and how your characters and stories develop and work on their own. Another thing I've said a lot to with my characters is that there's no feeling like letting your characters drive that story where you have a vague idea, the key is vague here, key term vague there, a vague idea of where your story's going to go, but you don't know for certain, and you let the characters lead you there, and they take you to whole new areas, new subplots, new tangents that you never originally imagined or even conceived of as part of the story. I literally had this the other day. I'm on vacation right now, and my goal for this week was to finish up the chapter of my novel, which I did two days ago, like four days ahead of schedule, which was awesome. And I knew the rough structure of the chapter, and as each moment and scene I got to I kind of knew what was going to happen in that scene but each time something different happened with the characters giving the story and explaining it. And especially towards the end where I thought well this is how it's roughly going to end and that's how I want it and that's good. But then as I was getting closer and closer to that point the characters added details and facts that I hadn't considered that brought it to a new end that was still within the rough frame of what I was planning on, but had a whole new side to it that I hadn't thought of. And it added a complexity to the chapter, but also a depth to the novel that I hadn't had it before. And I realize now making it a kind of deeper plot point that's gonna come into play later on in the book, which hasn't even been written at this point yet. And it's something that I hadn't outlined, I hadn't planned on, but because I let the characters drive the story and because they're developed enough by this point to be able to stand on their own, tell their part, tell their history, and also talk about what's gonna happen if they were able to get to that point and drive it into a whole new place that I never really considered. I think for people who haven't done a lot of writing or aren't writers, it's a hard kind of concept to both talk about and make them understand and realize. It's one of those things you don't really get it until you've done it and realize how kind of unique and magical it is with writing when you let your characters and your story drive itself instead of you forcing it to go in specific areas. And I've talked a lot about Stephen King before, um, but he's definitely one of those people who doesn't outline much, doesn't write many notes, but lets the idea kind of percolate in his mind, and then just let it take shape and form on the page as he writes it. I think it's a great way to do writing exercises and little projects too, to just kind of free-form, free-write, and just let everything come out. Um, That's probably a good way to actually kind of practice it, to know what it feels like not to be controlling and determining your story so much, or whatever little exercise you're doing, but to just let it come out as a sort of synthesis, organically, naturally. Like a tree that you haven't got fenced in and growing in a certain direction, but you're just letting flourish in a field somewhere and the roots can go wherever they want the trunk can take whatever shape it wants not just straight up and down it can curve and turn and more importantly the branches can be really widespread there can be lots of branches and smaller branches and tiny branches giving it a huge full diameter that that same tree would not have gotten if it was in controlled park area inside of a city fenced around and getting pruned and cut back on a weekly or monthly basis. This leads in nicely, I think, to first drafts. The key to a first draft is that it's not the finished product. It took me, as a writer, a while to fully understand this. I'd be reading all these great published books, think, finding them just amazing, and engaging, and enjoyable, and just thinking how, when I'm writing my stuff, how I could get to the point here where it's so pristine and perfect and works so well. And it took me years to realize that was not the story the writer first wrote when they first put that story down on the page, it is a totally different form of that story. That story went through rewrites, revisions, heavy editing, various copy editors, various editors going through it, honing it down, changing it, shaping it. If we go back to that tree metaphor, they were shaping the tree to be what they wanted the finished product to be. So the point of a first draft is it's not supposed to be good. It's not supposed to be finished or ready. If you read that anywhere, any sort of story, especially a fictional story where you have a character who's a writer, I'm thinking actually of, uh, again, Stephen King, his latest book, If It Bleeds, is a series of four novellas. And the last novella, called Rat, Involves a writer who pretty much writes out a first draft and it's almost perfect And I'm still not sure if it's more just Stephen King being a little lazy and just Wanting to make it easier for the story to tell or if it's part of the actual Events going on in the story that make it that way, but if you read somewhere that a first draft Is ready to go ready to get published. It's a lie. It's not true. It takes work. It's like a a demo session, a band just getting together and jamming for an hour and calling it the finished song. It's not it. Elements of the story are there, parts of it, maybe good chunks of it. But it's just that first draft. And the key is to realize that as you're writing it when you're stuck on a word or a sentence or something you might need to research that could derail you from writing your story, from telling it there and then, you shouldn't stop. You should just let it go. Put that wrong word in there. If you feel it's a totally wrong word, add a little note to yourself saying, this isn't the right word, but this is the idea. If it needs research, oh, I need to check this out later, but this is what I mean basically here. It might be totally wrong. You just add notes for yourself But it's keeping you going in telling the story you want to tell. And that's the point of a first draft. For me, first drafts are always bloated, heavy, wordy things. And I throw everything I can at them. Cliches, adverbs, over description. Usually if I'm talking about sensory stuff of experiencing a scene or something, I'll put in way too many senses being involved, as I talked about before, where you only want a couple. I'll put in way too much description, use three words for describing something instead of one, but it's all intentional. I'm wanting to do that, because I want to put everything I can into that first draft that I can think of that ties in with the story I'm writing. And this is true for short stories, novellas, especially for novels. I put as much in as I can and fill it up. That way, when my first draft is done, say it's the book I'm working on a novel, when I have put the end on that first draft, and it's this big, giant manuscript, which feels great because it's huge, I put it aside and forget about it for three to six months. But then when I go back to it, to start revising, to start doing second, third, fourth, eighth drafts, and changing it, and shaping it to the story I want it to be. I've got lots to work with. I'm not searching for new stuff or wondering that something the character was particularly doing or how he was describing something didn't feel right, but I have no idea how else, what I was trying to originally get at when I wrote it that first time. But by putting everything in there it's more of a case of cutting away. Like a sculpture, where you've got this solid big block and you're able to keep taking away. Once you've sliced off that bit that was gonna be the arm, you can't just reattach it. That arm's gone. You can't have an arm there. And the same can be said for writing once you permanently delete something. Or in the case of a first draft, if you didn't put it all in to begin with, That particular idea and feel you had and drive when you were doing that part of the story, you can't necessarily recreate again. So, I feel it's important with first drafts to put as much as you can into them, to fill them up, as I say. I've got, what is it, six chapters now? This is chapter, yeah, chapter, no, chapter five I just finished of my novel. So, I've got a prologue, and five chapters. I already had in mind it was going to be a long novel. Longest thing I've ever done. But, regardless, I'm into chapter five. There's going to be many, many more chapters. But I'm already at 53,000 words, I think it is. On the printed page, we're at 251 pages, I believe. Which is way long. I mean, that's like a book length practically for some things already. And I've barely got into telling my story yet. But I know... That I've put all I can into all these chapters... That I've written so far. So that when I go back to them... After I finish the book... And put it to sleep for six months. Which is, at this point... Probably years down the road. I will still have... All this... Work that I put into it... That I'm able to play with and edit... And revise. Whereas three years down the road, or two years, maybe less, if I'm not putting as much into this first draft, when I come back to it, and I'm trying to give the same feel to the scene that I had when I wrote that first draft, if I haven't put as much detail and complexity and words into it, I won't be necessarily be able to create that same feel that I did that first time I wrote it, when I had the momentum of writing that chapter and that novel. So that's why I think it makes a big difference when you put all you can into a first draft so you have a lot to work with when you move on to editing. Because as I said, that first draft is not the finished product. It's way far away from that finished product. It's your first draft. It's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be ugly. You're supposed to hate it a little. But then you're going to work at it and shape it and make it the thing you want it to be. I also feel the same for people who kind of like to edit as they go along. That's just not my style and if it works for you, that's fine, cool. But I want to warn you that if it takes away from your first draft too much, it can be a hindrance as opposed to a thing that's helping you. Okay, I think that's enough about first drafts. So let's get on to our recommendation. Uh, The thing I'm recommending today, I actually finished at this point, like a couple months ago now. um, is the first Saga compendium. Saga is a graphic novel series written by Brian K. Vaughn, who also did uh, Why the Last Man, Ex Machina, a few other things. And it's illustrated by Fiona Staples. The... Trades have been coming out for years now. It's been a pretty long, ongoing series. But this first compendium is kind of the first half of the series collected altogether. The second half hasn't even started yet, but Vaughn has said that this is basically the first half completed. And then there'll be another second, basically a second half. So eventually you'll have two volumes to complete the whole series. So I got to read all this in one big chunk and... Especially for graphic novels, I mean, obviously there's a fun part about reading single-issue comics and then trades. But being able to get a big chunk of story all together like this that has a nice kind of... I mean, it was a cliffhanger at the end of that, but it has a kind of nice finishing point and a rounded shape to it. I enjoyed Why the Last Man when I first read it decades ago. 15 years ago or so. Um, But this one is such a superior product with the writing, the artwork is fantastic to you and so colorful and lively and it's about this couple who get together and have a child and the key is it's on a another planet where the mother is from the planet and the father is from a moon surrounding the planet and this moon and planet have been at war with each other for I think centuries at this point and it's spread throughout the galaxy with many other races and peoples and creatures from throughout the universe basically warring against each other over this fight. So the fact that the two of them have had a baby together is like the ultimate anathema that should not be. There are all those going against them wanting to basically kill them and stop this from ever being known and happening. What's fun about it is the detail that's been put into all the various races and creatures from around the galaxy. You have these, um, they're kind of like a royal nobility, who are sort of robots. They're anthropomorphic forms with monitors on top of their heads. And depending on the age and kind of development of the particular person... They have different kinds of monitors, some older monitors, some more modern computers and stuff like that, so it's a lot of fun with that. And you get to see kind of a lot of their emotions and stuff literally shown on the screens of these monitors. But the cast is so wonderful and diverse. It's the first graphic novel I've ever read with a trans character. Just, it's fresh, everything feels fresh. Everything feels new and hasn't been done before. It's like sci-fi at its best where you're seeing different classes and different races and different groups mixing together and helping each other against those wanting to stop them, to oppress them. So it's all very relatable subject matter. It's beautifully illustrated and it's such an engaging story that you get right from the beginning. It really is kind of a unique series that deservedly has won a lot of awards. Once again, it's Saga by Brian K. Vaughan, illustrated by Fiona Staples and you can get I don't know how many trades there are, I think 10, 11 trades, something like that 10 to 12 trades collected or there's the big compendium of the first half of the story check your local library, chances are they have it or can get it from one of their other libraries within the county and you can read it that way you can also possibly read it online too, there might be a Ebook book version you can get through your library where you won't even have to leave your home. So I really recommend it. Check it out. And that about does it for today's episode. Thank you so much once again for joining me. I really appreciate it. I very much enjoy recording and talking about writing and I'm happy to hear of listeners getting something out of it too. You can get access to all the photos I take today, as well as a blog post related to this, on the Osteum Network Patreon. That's patreon.com slash podcast. Going back to the water pump here now, so I'm going to hang on for a bit. You can get access to all the photos I take here today as well as a blog post tied into this episode on the Ostium Network Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast and you also get access to an ad-free version of this episode. You can get all this for as little as $2 a month in addition to a ton of extra content from all the other shows I do and I'm involved with in the osteum Network, including the Ostium Podcast, the Circe Podcast, Manifestations, um, we got new podcasts planned too, an anthology podcast that'll be coming out next week, I mean ne- next year, <laughs> that I'm working on called Myriad, and we just started and recorded the first episode of a tea podcast I'm making with some friends, talking all about tea and the history of tea. And a lot about the social ramifications of how we get our tea and have gotten tea since the colonial days. So that'll be forthcoming. And as a patron, you get access to all this content. And the higher level you support at, the more content you basically get. Including a monthly uh, Zoom chat we do. We all get together and talk about stuff, and patrons can join in and ask questions and discuss. So that's really the best way to support this show and all the other shows. Helps me pay our actors, pay for hosting, sound design, all the work that goes into running a network of podcasts. Once again, that's patreoncom podcast. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. I do also have a Kofi if you wanted to make a one-time donation. But for now, thanks again for joining me. I've really enjoyed this riding walk, and stay tuned for the next one coming in a month's time. Stay safe everyone, and most importantly, wear a mask when you go outside.